Hello and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast from ILGA Europe. We represent and work on behalf of over 600 LGBTI activist organizations across Europe and Central Asia. And our podcast aims to bring you to the front lines of queer activism in the regions. I'm your host, Belinda Deer, and this is the fourth episode in our mini-series on rainbow family rights in 2021, during which we're looking at the issues affecting LGBTI parents and their children across Europe. Today, my colleague Keenan Russell will be exploring issues currently facing trans parents in Europe. Keenan's guests are Richard Kohler, Senior Policy Officer with Transgender Europe, and Slovenian trans activist Lea Aymad, one of the parents featured in the recent TGEU publication on the experiences of trans parents with freedom of movement in the EU. I'll hand you over now to Keenan. Thanks, Belinda. Uh, and I'd like to welcome Richard and Leah. Uh, Richard, I'll come to you first. Uh, Transgender Europe just produced a report on trans parenthood. Uh, can you talk about why you felt that this report was important now? Hi, Keenan. Thanks so much for giving us the opportunity to speak on this podcast today about the situation of trans parents, a situation which is very dear to us since we realized um, not the least from the last EU uh, FRA LGBTI survey that at least 19% of trans people are actually parenting. So um, even though there's strong incentives for trans people not to be parents, trans people actually do care for children um, throughout the region. That's what we see. And at the same time, we only have in our own uh, recording of the legal situation of, of trans people in Europe and Central Asia, we only have four countries that actually protect uh, trans people by recognizing them uh, in their gender identity in the kinship documents with a, ch- with a child. So only uh, um, Belgium, Malta, Slovenia, and Sweden actually give some sort of recognition of uh a person like who is a parent also like then in the, the documents that is connecting them with their child. So we felt it's definitely something we, we need to focus on. And then uh, we also understood there is an opportunity at the European level um, on the freedom of movement angle. Uh, and we know that it's very difficult for our trans parents to actually move around um, different countries. So we thought it's really high time to write up those stories and to hear what people have to say. Yeah, certainly. There's there are stories that we're not hearing. That that's certainly true, and the the report does a fantastic job of just bringing the very personal, emotional side of this conversation forward. Can you talk a bit about the main findings of the work so far? I think what we have found so far is that um, the experiences of transparency and the area of free movement is very much influenced by national laws of member states. And these are laws that uh, cover legal gender recognition, but also access to reproductive health and rights, partnership recognition, and parenthood recognition. So particularly, we see the absence of legal gender recognition procedures at the national level, um, or legal gender recognition procedures that actually fail to comply with human rights standards lead to discrimination against trans people and their children when they try to exercise free and safe movement. Also, legal gender recognition that's not extending to kinship documents actually leads to discrimination against trans parents and their children when they're trying to to, uh, travel and to cross borders. Um, And that is like manifested stigma and prejudice and discrimination um, against trans people. And it's actually really based on outdated ideas about what families look like. And this is, again, leading to very negative experiences or anticipated negative experiences in cross-border situations. And in a way to uh, trying to attempt 
to protect their children, a lot of trans parents then will actually forgo traveling or will forgo the job opportunity in another member state. And that, I think, is really uh, sending a lot of alarm bells here. But what we are most concerned is that with is that actually the best the, the principle of the best interest of the child is actually undermined by discrimination, stigma, and prejudice that is related to their parents' gender identity, either by, because it's uh, manifesting how it's manifesting in documents, but also like in attitudes of, of border guards of uh, or other um, persons in official capacity. Another issue that we found is that um, because of the lack of mutual partnership and parenthood recognition between member states, that is also impacting how uh, trans parents are able to, to travel and to exercise their, their right to freedom of movement. And last but not least, of course, uh, we also see that growing anti-trans sentiments and generally anti-equality sentiments across the EU actually results in uh, a situation that feels very unsafe for uh, trans families um, to, to travel. Um, and that is then also like uh, represented in, in legal, but also like in very practical discrimination. And I'm um, sorry, I forgot one point. Um, of course, the EU regulations uh, talk a lot about EU citizenship, but we actually found that um, trans parents who have residents in the EU, but who are third country nationals, that they are actually encountering additional obstacles. It's. I, I think one of the things I really like about this report is that it zooms in on how legal gender recognition is not a one step or one issue process, but one that is complicated for, for everyone who's engaging with the process and uh, where there are many different moving pieces that trans people need to navigate to ensure that their rights are fully protected uh, within a within a legal gender recognition framework. Richard, can you talk a bit about countries where we're seeing progress? Uh, who are the who are the good practice actors in the region? As you were just saying, Keenan, it's uh, hard to pinpoint because it is such a complex issue, right? When we're looking at trans families being able to move um, and their right to freedom of movement. Um, this is really informed by a lot of discussions and influenced by a lot of like different um, pieces of, of policy and legislation. Um, so as, as I mentioned, we, we're seeing um, those countries like, like uh, as I mentioned, Belgium, Malta, Slovenia and Sweden, where um, there's progress, at least on the parenthood recognition uh, part. But then you can also, of course, refer to countries where generally there is a a good regime around legal gender recognition that is based on self-determination. Um, that is actually helping uh, trans families to get proper recognition then in their in their documents as well. Were there any stories or issues that came up in this work that were surprising uh, or unexpected? You know, when we started this work, we were first thinking more theoretically, what is it that we know of, what issues are, and uh, what's our analysis from it? And we came up with a quite long list of issues that we could identify. And when we made the call for uh, transparency to tell us their stories, each one of those concerns that we had previously identified was actually matched, like by experience and reality. So I think uh, it is really high time to take action because these are real life uh, experiences. These are real families. Uh, we're not talking about theory or hypothetical uh, situations, but uh, these families are now stuck in limbo and they really need uh, all the support they can get now. Leah, you were one of the people who was interviewed 
for the report. Uh, can you tell me a bit about your personal experience and why this report, why participating in this was important to you? Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks for having me also and letting me speak, to, speak about that. Yeah, it's a very important uh, um, thing for me and topic, and I'm glad to be a part of bringing it out. My experience is that, um, so I'm a trans woman, middle-aged, uh, and I was born in France, and uh, at 25, I went in Slovenia, and I stayed here. I built a family uh, before my transition, uh, before I was uh, um, aware also uh, myself, but really who I am. So I had a wife, and I have two children from that marriage, and when I did transition, a lot of things became very complicated, but uh, generally speaking, uh, administratively, I just disappeared in a magma of impossible laws to conciliate together. You know, like already in one country, it's kind of, of gray zone, legal gender recognition in Slovenia. It was combi combined with, the, with the, the criteries and the standards of France, which, which are actually much worse than Slovenia about legal gender recognition. Well, it, it, it made me, it put me into a situation I had no um, insurance security for some time, no legal document. So it's completely, it's impossible to travel. Like the movement I felt for a year or so, I felt completely trapped in, in, in the country. And I was also for work. I had to Continuously, because Slovenia, you know, is a very small country. So, in order to work, I, I had to cross each day at one period the Italian border, like uh, like two times a day. And I was scared to death, like um, when because of course we were so frequently using that that we got arrested or controlled here and there. And I was all, always completely freaked out because um, my experience. Uh, with my ideas, with any kind of authority or institution, is that I just, I'm looked at like a criminal because nobody is, is aware that you can be trans. Slovenia, there's a lot of work to do about it. So that's the kind of, you know, it's not you are trans, you won't travel, but it's just, I, you know, if I show you my ID, you will say me, oh, this is your husband. You know, and this is what I got, you know. So when I try to travel to France in order to prove my legal gender recognition in front of a judge, I brought my children with me. And I was traveling alone with my two children and with that idea that is not fitting the international standards. Like you have to have an idea that looks like you. And so I got, I got very people get mad at me, you know, because... Why don't you show us a, a good idea? And I, I said, I, I wish I could, but it would be a fake idea because I'm still waiting for the government you know, to issue it. This, this, this means that I'm not really able to, 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 to travel. And this specific episode with my children it was a complete nightmare. It sounds psychologically so difficult and I, I, what I'd really like to hear a bit more about is 
the beyond freedom of movement, what kind of issues and obstacles you and your family face? I mean, it, the story you've told so far, the emotional and psychological impact just sounds extraordinary. Um, what else do you think people need to know? Oh, there's, a, there's a, a lot of things to know, actually, at least to realize, because usually the assumption is that the law exists for everyone and that everyone uh, exists in the same regard of the law, which is not the case. Like when, when you, I mean, at least when I went through transitioning in, in, and being a foreigner, it meant I had to close my company. So I had financial, financial repercussions somehow because of that legal gender recognition. Then I lost the money from that I should get from, um, you know, when you don't work, you are unemployed from office of unemployment. And I never got that money because I mean, I did first, I didn't got it. So I, I, I was, I, I was, with my ex-wife, because of social tension, we were trying to stay together and, you know, do parenting and maybe stay a couple anyway, which she discovered after some time that she was not able and not willing to do. And then it, there's an, an, another level is that uh, then in front of the law and the judges or whatever, when, I, when we wanted to divorce, then I was freaking because of the power relationship you know my ex-wife at that moment she could say anything about me because mm. i was i was the trans and i was the at least in the head of people masculine one so the aggressor usually like if i do very stereotype things and this is this is i mean my transness didn't affect my children but it affects so much my relationship with my wife that in return, this affected a lot my children because, of course, when parents don't get along, then you have also this this problem that children feel it and and will keep something out of it. You know, so it's um, it puts me in the situation that I'm not legally a real parent. You know, when I walk at school or kindergarten, I had that feeling very strong that I was not that equal parents as someone else, because I had, I had the feeling people really represent, have this idea that trans, a trans person can't be a parent, that it doesn't go together. And it, and of course it's, it's completely wrong. It's completely fake. Like a lot of trans people survive through Transness, um, I actually the 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 social the social uh, um, negative side of being trans, and 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 they travel they navigate these difficulties also with a lot of love, by giving love, receiving love, by offering some some unique point of view to some children that are. Um, Mm, that will get very soon a, a real understanding about norms, social norms, and, and, and things like that. It's, it's nothing bad for the children. It's just not acknowledged and recognized by society. So the fact that it is not recognized puts us in situation like, okay, we are seen as criminal. Being a parent is, I, by default, I am less of a parent than anyone else who is mm. not a parent. 
really well put. <laughs> uh, Richard, maybe we can come back a bit to the to the policy piece. Can you talk a bit about how TGU is working towards protecting the rights of of trans parents and and families with with trans people in in them? Sure, Keenan. I think like what we're doing today already, like like giving the floor to people like Leah and like to shine a bit more of the light on the difficult situations that many trans parents find themselves in, is actually uh, really already um, like a big part of, of, of our job here. So what we're doing now or what we did, we, we uh, published a report on transparent, uh, transparent experiences with freedom of movement in the European Union. Uh, we will soon also put out a policy brief on the same subject. And we're at the moment exploring um, a broader report on trans parenthood in general, covering our full region of Europe and Central Asia. So to bring a more diverse uh, background um, over the whole region that we cover. Because I think, um, as Leah, I think was just kind of like so rightly pointing, uh, putting it, uh, we really need to bring more stories out there and, and shine, shine light on, on, on those lives and those families. Um, but also when it comes to like concrete and uh, advocacy demands, um, what we are working towards uh, as TGU, but of course also then with, with ILGA Europe and others, is to hold the European Commission, for example, accountable for the commitment it has made in its EU LGBTI uh, equality strategy. Um, for instance, where it's talking about the revised guidelines on free movement, we would want to see that trans parents are included here, that their spouses also durable partners and, and children come into the scape. Uh, generally, that the whole idea of ensuring that the exercise of freedom of movement uh, rights is actually attainable for all families, and that also needs to take into view the specific barriers that trans uh, parents and their children are facing. Um, we see that there is quite some room to maneuver for the commission to explore possible support for mutual recognition of, of, of parentship, but also mutual recognition of parenthood uh, across member states. So the countries I mentioned before, for instance, of Sweden is recognizing um, a legally male person who has given birth as the father, then we would want to see other countries to um, continue that recognition, of course, and that not come in with other uh, national laws and um, jeopardize the, the legal protection of this of this family. Um, as we discussed before, the whole issue of legal gender recognition uh, is again really key here. Also, like to support trans families. So if the commission could support member states for better legal gender recognition laws and procedures that are quick, easy and accessible and that are based on self-determination and also like make sure that these provisions extend to recognition and parenthood and kinship documents that will make a big contribution to uh, making trans families safer. There is quite some leeway what the commission can do around mutual recognition of civil status documents as well in this regard on like how legal gender recognition decisions get uh, extended. Um, and the commission is also really well placed to help member states in their forums of like best practice exchanges to actually ensure that the right to freedom of movement is available for trans parents and their children. Um, and to make sure that, for instance, the Fundamental Rights Agency is, is collecting data, is, is providing reliable, comparable data, um, also like particularly on uh, situations of families um, coming from marginalized backgrounds, so persons of color, black people, uh, people with disabilities, as I mentioned before, persons who are um, third country nationals really need to be put in focus and to understand what, what their needs are. And we would love to see 
that then funding opportunities, uh, for, for instance, like through the citizens equality rights and values programs and research funds are actually also like having such a specific uh, focus. Um, and uh, even more important that for instance, like the socioeconomic situation is, is taken into, into consideration uh, when it comes to uh, more like uh, instruments in this area, like the European Social, uh, uh, European Social Fund that um, ensures or, or should ensure that the perspective of transparent is actually duly recognized um, in this regard. So it's a long list. Um, I recognize that, but that's also like a lot of work to be done. <laughs> Indeed, it is a long list. And I actually want to add one more thing, which is uh, the connection between the commission's commitment to classify forced and coerced sterilization as a harmful practice. Uh, because we've talked a lot in Absolutely. this conversation about how people who already have families are impacted by the existing legislative framework. But a lot of trans people also either are coercively sterilized by the state uh, to access legal gender recognition or coercively sterilized by medical practitioners who, for example, say, if you don't get sterilized, you are going to get cancer. Uh, or if you don't get sterilized, I will not do this other gender affirming procedure that you want to receive. So uh, it's a it's very interconnected, the rights of, of trans folks to, to found a family uh, with a, a bunch of the other legal uh, situations that we find ourselves in. I just wanted to, to reiterate that. Thanks for, for bringing that up and, and really putting a focus on the issue of forced sterilization. I mean, we're, we're coming from a very dark age where uh, trans people in some countries are still the only group in Europe prescribed by law to be sterilized. Um, mm. And we have in our, uh, in our publication, Stuck on the Swing, on the experiences of trans parents and um, freedom of movement, we have like one heartbreaking example of a trans woman from Germany who is saying, I was like forcibly sterilized. Like back then, I didn't think much about it. But now I cannot stop thinking about how the state deprived me of the right to have my own children. And she's now trying all, all possible ways to uh, actually become a parent, and, and it's just so difficult. Yeah, that really hits home for me. That's pretty much my story. So to kind of end us on a more uh, affirming note, uh, hearing these stories and about the work that uh, that TGU is is doing, do you have hope for the future of of trans parents and trans families in in Europe? And what does that look like for you? I know by the, the system is made to not force any country to do something they don't want. So by principle, you know, it makes it hard to to take 25 countries and agree on the fact that there will be no sexism anymore, no patriarchy anymore, and that we will give trans rights to people. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. But until that day, it's what will be do done can be undone at another time later in the history or whatever so i'm kind of i'm very i'm investing all my energy i think it's 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 completely useful to try and to and to push 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 but on the other hand i'm kind of realistic i don't i <laughs> i don't expect anything maybe i can counter that a little bit from from what I see on, on the European level, uh, when we started working on the theme, we were like, hmm, is this just anecdotal evidence that uh, trans parenthood issues are, are coming up here and there? Is it a luxury issue, maybe even, in some countries where other issues have been dealt with? And the answer is such a 
resolute no. Trans people are parents throughout and everywhere, and there will be parents and they will take care of children and they will provide nurturing and loving homes. And the only question is like, how soon does society catch up to protect and support these families um, as much as they can and as much as they deserve it? Um, but as with trans people in general, we will not go away. Trans families we will not go away. I have the greatest of hopes um, that also mainstream society will, will catch up on understanding um, that the best interest of the child really uh, is imperative here to also ensure that the trans families and the trans people in those families are protected and recognized well. That sounds like a great note to end on. Thank you both very much for spending this time with us today. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the work together. You know, it's an uphill battle, but there is a lot of hope for me. And just seeing our families coming out and saying we are here and we are full of love, as are all families. So thanks very much uh, for, for sharing all of this with us. You have been listening to The Frontline, ILGA Europe's LGBTI activism podcast. Please subscribe, like or comment wherever you listen to our podcasts. And tune in next time when we'll be looking forward to the future of rainbow family rights across Europe. Bye for now.